This is John Holtzman, and welcome to the Patrick Henry Podcast, where we try to make sense of why liberty matters and why our Western establishment tends to be letting us down. Uh, Today's title is great. Uh, The folks at the firm I'm traveling at the moment are celebrating because for those of you who who follow us regularly know, we called the result of the Boris Johnson leadership contest perfectly. He would win, but win ugly, and ultimately it would be the beginning of the end for him. How did we get this right? One of the things that I hate about the modern world is the hypocrisy of uh, ignoring meritocracy. And by that, I mean... When you're right, you have to falsely pretend that you're not so that in a socialistic way, those who are more mediocre and Ian Bremmer over Brexit, I mean you. If you're wrong about everything, as my competitor so often is, the Paul Krugman of political risk, um, he really shouldn't be listened to in a democratic and re- system that's made up of a republic in the case of the United States. You can learn from being wrong, but he doesn't seem to just as you can learn from being right, but you have to acknowledge both. And the problem with bad analysts, such as the Eurasia Bunch, is that when they're right, they trumpet it on those rare occasions, and when they're wrong, they disappear into a crowd of other people who are wrong. And as a result of this strategy, that helps in an immediate tactical business way, but it sure doesn't help about getting better. And political risk is like nothing so much as method acting. You want to be the best method actor in the world. And even Marlon Brando or Montgomery Clift in their day knew that they could get better. You learn when you get it right. You learn when you get it wrong. But you don't learn when you don't acknowledge that you're right or you're wrong. It's impossible. And that's why bad analysts stay bad, because it's always about tactics and never about, dare I say it, the content. So let's look. Let's ignore all that and try to be the best political risk analysts in the world and look at What can we learn from why we got it right about Boris Johnson entirely, precisely right months ago? How did we get this right? What can we learn from this? Well, I'll begin where I'm going to end. I'm traveling at the moment, as many of you know, and I'm in Bavaria for about another week. And then I have a keynote in London with the Great Network Forum, uh, Andrew Barman's group, which is a fantastic group I've long worked with. I'm so excited to see the network again. And then I'm on to Amsterdam for another keynote for a a leading client. And before that, I'm seeing my children for the first time um, in two and a half years because of COVID. And obviously, this is an incredibly, overwhelmingly emotional thing. And as those of you who follow us know that my other son, Benjamin, who lives in America, we share a great love of movies and his work and, and urgings have shown up in my culture section. And my younger son, Samuel, who I dearly adore, uh, shares my love for classics. And so we're going to begin where we end. And where, where that is, is Heraclitus's comment, the great Greek philosopher who said, character is destiny. And that's why we knew Boris Johnson was toast. It never really mattered about the specifics, as long as you again have a Greek classical view. This guy was always bound to get into trouble because that's what he's done his entire life. Again, know some history. In this case, his specific biography, and he was always bound to be shambolic because he's been shambolic his whole life. This isn't difficult to call. You don't come to power and then give away everything that got you there. Your character is your character. He was bound to be shambolic. He was bound to be narcissistic. He was bound to be elitist. He was bound to be selfish. And most critically, and we'll get to this, he was bound to think that the rules were for little people and not for him. 
So says the man who was a member of the Bullingdon Club, Eton, and Oxford. And unlike David Cameron, who tended to wear this more lightly, Boris thinks that the world was made for him and that dessert is a main course. And this was always what was going to do him in. That was always the structural problem. The foreground was just a matter of time. And what happened in the foreground, of course, was Partygate, uh, where Boris Johnson treated number 10 Downing Street like a nightclub, while literally on the same day at one point urging everyone on pain of death during the COVID pandemic to stay away from their loved ones, to not overpopulate rooms. You couldn't even see your family, even if they were dying. And then he was going to drinks parties about people leaving. And this has made everyone crazy because, again, it just confirms the things about Boris that seemed charmingly off base and made him different. His loose notion that the rules were for other people, that was fine in a time of non-crisis. But in a time of crisis, this made him look selfish, elitist, and worst of all, unserious. And in a time of great tragedy, these qualities which seemed faintly eccentric and even charming to some began to seem something else, almost diabolical. And that's the reason that he found himself in this problem. Enough Tories, it took 54, uh, sent forward motions with no confidence in the leadership to the Graham Brady, the head of the 1922 club, which is the backbench association governing the rules of the Tory party since 1922. And he, when 54% or 54 MPs called for this, a leadership election was called in the confidence in Boris. They did it as quickly as possible, meaning that it was it was literally announced yesterday and then the vote was last night. This gave the rebels very little time to mobilize, and that's on purpose, because there's a key part of this rule, is that beyond the 54%, you have to win about 180 MPs or half the Tory party MPs plus one for Boris to stay in power, and they didn't want to give their enemies time to mobilize. So what was the outcome of this? Well, for the Tory party, the outcome is the worst of all possible worlds. Despite the game being skewed in Boris's favor, he won, but by a measure that's not large enough to resolve the issue. So wounded and limping, as I said last week in my Arab News column, as he runs the gauntlet, he's been hit again, is staggered, is bleeding, but limps on. And uh, the interesting thing was that this is a rebellion that, unlike many other Tory rebellions, there's no real leader. And if they had had a more organized system to oppose Johnson— and they had waited until after the two by-elections later in the month in June, one in the Blue Wall up in Yorkshire, the Johnson's former Labour supporters who support Johnson because they were so repulsed by Corbyn, and one in the South Wall where they had a majority in Devon of over 24,000, an utterly reliable Tory seat, these two very different seats. And they're going to lose both despite huge majorities in the one and a strong majority up in West Yorkshire. They're going to lose both seats. And if the opponents had actually waited for the results of the by-election, given their numbers now in a little, a few more weeks of organization, they well could have succeeded in ousting him. Um, now, according to the rules, Boris can't be, there can't be another leadership challenge for a year. But, and it's a big but, the Tories can change the rules anytime they want. This is how Theresa May was done in. Uh, the 1922 folks told her, look, if you stay in power any longer, We'll just change the rules and have another leadership election. You, you'll be humiliated and thrown out. And when she knew that, that the game was up 
and she resigned. But this is a terrible outcome for Johnson, who skewed the rules in his favor, didn't face any organized opposition, which is rare. Usually there's an obvious leadership challenger. Michael Heseltine to Mrs. Thatcher leaps to mind. There is no obvious challenger to Johnson at the moment. There was no organization between the various groups that were against him. It wasn't the right wing as the anti-Brexiteers, as the Brexiteers were against Theresa May, who thought she was going squishy. It's not ideological. It's personal. It's about his character. It's not about an issue. So there is no one group against him. It's little bits of the various constituents of the party who simply find him noxious. Look at the polling numbers and those combined facts. They feel dirty and he no longer brings them victory. And the love for Johnson was never real. It was always transactional. He's not a guy who's worked his way up the Tory party. He's a rock star. He was a journalist who was rather famous. Then the very famous boosterish mayor of London, two times elected in far left London. And he kept bringing them victory. Famously in 2019, he unlocked the deadlock parliament over Brexit by a thumping 80 seat majority. And it's always been that pixie dust, that electoral pixie dust that has allowed Johnson to triumph. Nobody loves him. He hasn't worked his way up the ranks which causes resentment. In fact, again, here's another case where the rules are for little people. He hasn't done that, but because he brings them victory, they put up with him. And this is now that he's not bringing them victory or is not about to bring them victory means they will very quickly dump him. The Tory party is the most successful modern political party in the developed world precisely because it's unsentimental. Famously, Lady Thatcher brought them three thumping electoral victories changed the face of Britain, and the minute her numbers went down because of the poll tax and just longevity, out she went. They are unsentimental. And ironically, they picked John Major and won another election. So once they see the numbers reflected in what's going on and divided parties are looked down upon, to put it mildly, in Britain, there'll be another effort to get rid of them. This thing is far from over. 148 Tories in the end voted against him, which is 41% of the total. This is the exact same percentage of Tories who voted against Lady Thatcher, and she was out two days later, to give you some point of comparison. The exact same percentage, and Lady Thatcher, who'd actually been a figure of world historical importance, and won three elections, and she was gone in three days. 148 Tories voted for him to go. This is around three quarters of the non-payroll vote um, would have voted no confidence. And again, this is the other way that the prime minister keeps himself in power is that an awful lot of MPs work as either cabinet members or as parliamentary private secretaries. And although not all of them will have voted for Boris, most will because they have a job because he gives them patronage and they have a job moving their way up toward cabinet, either in cabinet or at a sub cabinet level. And so they're very likely to vote for him. And this total numbers anywhere from, you know, it's 140 to 160 members are basically down to start with for Boris. So three quarters of those not on the payroll voted for him to leave. And this shows that the backbenchers have no confidence in him whatsoever, despite the fact there's no obvious successor to Johnson, which would make this a lot easier. So now we're set for a very unedifying and long drawn out campaign. Um, As Matthew Paris, the rather shrewd Times columnist said, Boris knows what would be the decent thing to do, and he will not do it. I love this line. Boris knows what would be the decent thing to do, which would be to resign, and he will not do it. Boris has never done the decent thing. 
Have a look at the man's personal like life. Have a look at the man's voting record. Have a look at the man being fired for lying when he was a journalist. Decent isn't something Boris does. So don't expect him to be decent in the same way David Cameron, Theresa May, Margaret Thatcher, all of whom were more than a little decent, went when the time was right. They'll have to pry him out of number 10 with him clutching the famous wallpaper with his fingernails. So this is not going to be pretty, and he's going to count on the rest of the world find being more embarrassed than he is. This has been the guy's strategy his whole life, so he's not going to do the decent thing. He survived for now, but the result was far worse than expected. Um, as I said, it's the same margin of victory as Thatcher, um, and, and she was ousted before. It's similar to Theresa May's vote in January 2019, and she was sent packing a scant seven months later. Um, and this is an incredible number that, that, that to look at. It's exactly in the line that he's fatally wounded, as we suggested. And again, character-wise, this is a man who, when he was asked to speak before the 1922 club, before the vote, when asked if he felt that going to leave-taking parties that he did immediately after telling everyone to stay locked down and distanced from one another, he said, I'd do it again. So the fake contrition is out. The mask is off. This is a man who simply thinks that the rules are for the rest of us and not for him. He said this yesterday. He's learned nothing. Most people do. It's quite extraordinary, which is another reason we got this right. If you assume people mean what they say and say what they mean, however crazy, fanciful, or just plain wrong, you're going to go far. Nor does it look like he's the backbench darling anymore. The wonderful paper, Conservative Home, which I write for, and Paul Goodman is a tremendous editor and runs it. I, I love it. Um, conducted a poll, and they've been very accurate just after the vote yesterday, and 55% of Tory members were favoring removing Boris. So a majority of Tory grassroots supporters want him gone too. Ironically, this has happened just two and a half years after the prime minister had led the conservatives to a thumping 80-seat majority. And already in two and a half years, he's out, despite the world historical importance of getting Brexit done, which will always matter, and also getting through COVID. He's had two major historical moments in the blink of an eye. And this is extraordinary that he's fallen this far, this fast. Now we return to what Samuel and I would focus on, which is the classics and Heraclitus and character being destiny. This was always going to happen for the reasons I've said about his character. He's learned nothing. He regrets nothing. He must be stopped. And when you combine the fact that the odiousness of this is now becoming personal, when Boris went during the Jubilee weekend for the Queen's 70 years on the throne to a Thanksgiving service at St. Paul in front of a crowd of monarchists. Monarchists, as you might guess, tend to be Tory voters. This is the core constituency. This is a group who should lustily cheer any conservative prime minister. And what happened when Boris and Kerry walked up towards St. Paul's? There was booing. They are overtly people are booing him in the streets. And worse, royalists are booing him in the streets. British conservatives to the marrow of their bones, and they're booing him in the streets as he goes forward. The odium from what he's done, he does not realize because he is utterly unaware of himself, as are so many narcissists. 
And this is what's going to do for him now, because the rest of us are aware and he will not escape this. People have made up their minds. And when people do that in the British system, when you become associated with certain characteristics for Tony Blair, it was the kind of soft left slipperiness of the age combined with his disasters over Iraq that did for him. Thatcher's steely determination became a dangerous wrong-headed notion if you thought she was wrong. David Cameron's go-alongness uh, became seen as weakness. Theresa May's obvious nervousness at being in charge became ineptitude. The quality sour and people then have a new narrative and then it's almost impossible to change this. And ironically, in the case of Boris Johnson, the narrative's correct. He does think the rules are for little people. And I would end with this quote that we used in another piece written months ago about why we knew Boris Johnson was toast even then. And it's what I call Boris Johnson and the Marie Antoinette problem. And the problem is that, you know, everyone knows that Marie Antoinette is supposed to have said before the French Revolution, let them eat cake. Actually, there is absolutely no historical record to back this up. The first record of people saying this about her wrote from an anti-monarchist pub publication written 50 years after her death. So it's more than likely that she never said, let them eat cake, the phrase for which she is best known. And this seems dreadfully unfair on one level, but on another level, you ask yourself, why has this quote lasted? Why does everyone know this quotation, this soundbite? And the reason is she could have said it. It's exactly the way the French aristocracy were treating the starving and hard-pressed peasants of the time, let them eat cake. Meaning, we don't really care what's going on with you, let's make another topiary. And that is exactly what they thought, and so although she hasn't said it, it caught the essence of what Heraclitus would say matters, which is her character. And this was always going to get in the way at some point. It was merely a matter of time, and it did, and exploded in the almighty bang of the French Revolution. For Boris, the Marie Antoinette problem isn't this legion of reports. And what a moronic society we are. I need Sue Gray to tell me what a party is. I need the Metropolitan Police to somehow screw up telling me what a party is. I don't need someone to tell me what a party is. I don't need someone to tell me the social distancing doesn't work given the number of people in the room. There were people sitting on each other's laps in the nightclub that became Downing Street while the rest of us weren't allowed to see our dying relatives. This is fundamental and clear. I do not need a government expert, in quotes, who inevitably will be wrong, to tell me what a party is, or I might add, to tell me right from wrong. The problem with Boris is this is his Marie Antoinette moment. It doesn't matter whether technically he broke the rule in party one, but not in party two, or in party four, or in party seven. That's not the point. And only a bureaucracy would get this this wrong. The point is, in a, the spirit of the law, in the spirit of what he'd done, this confirms everyone's worst fears of what Boris Johnson both is and is not. What he is is a louche, self-centered, egotistical, narcissistic man who in an elitist way that is enraging as people died in the thousands with COVID, made number 10 into a nightclub and thinks the rules are for little people and certainly not for him. That, of course, confirms everyone's deepest suspicions of Johnson and has the added advantage, as Mark Twain would say, of being right. That's why we knew so long ago 
Boris Johnson was toast because we understood the history of his biography and we understood classics and the way human beings work. This is a very different way to do political risk than my other competitors. And given our record, one we're delighted to go on with. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy this. It's great to do this before I go see the kids. Um, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe and we will keep them coming even from the road. Um, normally on Monday, we have the foreign policy vlog. Tuesday uh, usually is the culture section. Wednesday, we do around the world in 20 minutes, our flagship. Thursday, my friend J.L. Ryder looks at the society. And Friday, my friend Publius looks at the economics. We are booming as a little local newspaper to the world, and we're incredibly grateful to you and our community. Please do subscribe now, and we will keep them coming. For those of you who enjoy this and have subscribed, please do give. We need you to give $70 a year, which is just one cappuccino. $70 a year, a cappuccino, half a cappuccino a week, I think is how we worked it out. If you give us the $70, I promise we will keep this fully funded in this unique Substack version of the future without editors getting in our way where we can give you the unvarnished political risk as we did so very well about the hapless and faintly sinister Boris Johnson. Thanks very much.